Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. You have tuned in to episode number 530 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack, and this is the Weekender edition. It's our 112th edition of the Weekender, so we thank you for tuning in. We've got random topics, we've got hedonism, we've got all the things that make life worth living. But before we jump into all of that, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right. So, as everybody hopefully recalls the last episode was called deep freeze and that's because we were all freezing our butts off but i think it's finally over we're supposed to be around 50 plus for the next at least seven to ten days which is about normal for here so looking forward to that bill says he's outside in the garage and not freezing so that's excellent (laughs) yeah definitely not uh, not freezing anymore it's uh it's nice (laughs) (laughs) well the winter's not over yet so um, and besides, you got to get a little bit of skiing in, right? Yeah, you know, I haven't even dug my skis out of the storage unit yet, and I have uh, six ticks for Red Lodge. So I'm like, uh, well, I hope the hope the spring sk- snow kicks in, so uh, <laughs> so there is a ski season for me to to go partake in. Yeah, you got to get those passes used for sure. Yeah, I'll find a way. It'll be fine. And I am going to get my skis though this uh, this week probably. Oh, that's good. We were up in Kansas City and uh, a couple of days ago, and it was actually enough snow up there for them to open the ski hill. So nice. Yeah, Can't apparently there wasn't much of a hill. It's yeah, it's not much of a hill. Although considering the terrain around it, um, which is as flat as it can possibly be, uh, the fact that there is a hill there at all is something to remark about, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're open. And the, and the thing is, it's for, for whatever small it is, one of these days we're going to actually make the right hand turn and go down the road that leads to the hill so we can actually see what it looks like instead of just passing in front of it. But their lift tickets are like 50 bucks. So they're, they're not, not too bad. Well, I mean, it, well, I mean, relatively. Yeah. We're talking about a molehill here. <laughs> so, all right. Which you can take, right? Well, yeah, that's true. Unless you want to drive to Colorado. Um, yeah. So, all right. So normally we would do pick a random topic, but I didn't get around to trying to augment our list of random topics, which will get done before the next weekender. But on this weekender, we're going to, apparently, I've been told I have to talk about my new purchase. Yes. (laughs) And what Bill says, we sometimes do. Um, So in a, I was in a hotel room and in a fit of, I don't even remember why, I opened up hamradio.com, and right there on the front page was a thing that said, we have this radio, a Yezu FT710, and we have it for $300 off retail right now if you buy, if you push the button. And um, 
I push the button. So <laughs> impulse uh, purchase. <laughs> it, was, it was about the impulsiest of purchases. Yes. Now I have been thinking about getting another radio for a long time. I've had, uh, as everybody on the show should know, a Kenwood TS five seventy D for as long as I can remember. I was trying to I was trying to determine when I actually bought it, um, but it was probably probably sometime around two thousand and three. Um, that I purchased it within maybe a year or two. And that radio has served me very well over the past 20 years. Um, the only thing it really lacked was six meters. And I solved that problem by buying an IC7100, which also has two meters and 440. So that radio became sort of the, the go-to for doing six meter work and stuff like that. And it's also an ICOM. So it has D-Star, built into it so i've been using it for d star but i found that if i wanted to keep it you know scanning on the the vhf bands or if i wanted to be doing some d star work or something like that then my hf radio was tied up and i had the other one but if i wanted to do six meter work at the same time then i was kind of out of luck i couldn't like switch back and forth so yezu or you know i, I guess it's yezu does the coupons not ham radio um yeah it's out. a 200 dollars manufacturer coupon i think right now and there was a hundred dollars something else like uh instant savings uh, yeah hundred dollars like holiday instant savings or something good through the end of this month so that brought the price of the rig from uh 12 no 11.90 no 11.9995 so. 11.99 down to 8.99 and i was like you know, for for a rig that's got all these, uh, what looks like a whole bunch of features that my Kenwood doesn't have, because that Kenwood is, I don't know when they started making those things, but it was a long time ago. Um, you know, what the hell, I'll go for it. And besides, I looked on eBay to see what Kenwood TS570s, you know, original with original Kenwood PS30 power supplies and stuff were going for. And it, I can probably recoup most of my purchase just by selling the Kenwood. So it seemed like it was worth doing, so I did it. And... Uh, as I said earlier today in the Discord chat, I, I prided myself on doing a lot of HF work without a lot of bells and whistles. But now that I have bells and whistles, I'm really liking the bells and whistles. <laughs> um, the um, All right, how do we even start this? I, I suck at reviews. So... <laughs> so one of, the, one of the things about the, well, the immediate thing that's obvious about the uh, FT710 is that it's not an FTDX5000 or whatever those unholy priced Yezu rigs is, because some of those are upwards of, what, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000? Yeah, yeah, once you get to the, the full-blown dealy Merbobbers. Right, so obviously like this... The big ones like the FT101D or something like that, or 101DX. Yeah, exactly. So this is obviously at the other end of that spectrum. However, for for your $900, you're getting a lot of stuff. Uh, it is a, it is an SDR. I didn't look too much into the the specifics. There's something Darren was talking about the difference between the FTDX10 and the FT710, and there was something about one being a hybrid rig and the other one being something else as far as uh, audio. Um, I don't even I know. The, I think the 10 has a uh, a nine megahertz IF or something like that bandwidth. So. It has like a sort of like a, an additional filter as well as like the bandpass filters that the uh, 710 does. So it has like a one more set of filtering that it employs that helps out with the uh, receiver dynamics instead of just being a general, you know, wide open SDR 
covering uh, everything. Uh, yeah. So Steve says 710 is pure SDR. FTDX is hybrid. Okay. So me not knowing anything about the difference between those two, obviously, since the FTDX 10 is more expensive, that's better. <laughs> um, but you know what? The SDR and the FT710 is really good. I have, I was pleasantly surprised and immediately noticed the difference in audio quality between the FT710 and the Kenwood. Um, I mean, that's probably not saying a whole lot because one radio is 30 years old and the other one is, you know, one. Um, but yeah, for, for being a low end quote unquote rig, I mean, the audio is spectacular and that's coming out of the, the default, uh, speaker, not the fancy dancy AESS system speaker that you, that I could have got for a hundred bucks. Um, which does some weird audio processing where it cross-links the two speakers for full dynamic range and all kinds of crazy stuff, which it probably doesn't actually do, but it sounds good in the, in the manual. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I cheaped out on that, I guess it, it has the ability. I mean, I could buy the, uh, was it the SP 40, I think is the module for it, uh, at any time should I choose to do so. But I, I really like the audio that comes out of the thing just with the the base speaker so so it has um built-in rig control device and also a usb control so that if you have a keyboard and or mouse um you can plug that into the radio it has the ability to um connect to an external speaker or not an external speaker an external monitor and you can use it like a computer if you have a mouse hooked to it you can control the functions with the mouse and and so on and so forth, which is handy. The external monitor display is is really good. I love having that. Um, that is something that the the 570, of course, and the IC7100 don't support. <clears throat> and also, I was looking at the IC7300, which uh, Bill said, don't buy that. So I didn't. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the ICOM doesn't support external monitor. At least I didn't see it, but it did. So... Uh, I know we can use like WFU and ICOM software and stuff like that to sort of resolve a pan adapter on a on a computer, but that's sort of uh, done in software. But the external display is really nice. I, I was questioning the the choice of DVI for the connector. It seemed like a waste of real estate, um, but that's what they used. So whatever. Um, it looks really nice. It's really sharp. Uh, the, the the new Yezu screens, while all of them on the rig itself seem to be somewhat. Uh, undersized, uh, especially on the mobile rigs. Uh, the fact that you can hook an external monitor to, to this one sort of just bypasses that issue. Um, let's see, Steve is talking about headphones. This does have the ability to use headphones. It also has a monitor feature so that if you want to hear what your audio sounds like, uh, you can pass it back through your headphones, which is useful, uh, especially because it has a lot of EQ and DSP stuff for outbound audio as well as inbound. So you can change the dynamics of your signal. In doing so, you might want to know what that actually sounds like while it's going out in the air, which you can do. Um, it has uh, what's called 3DSS, which I don't know what that stands for exactly, but it's uh, it's probably like three-dimensional spectrum something. Um, spectrum stream. Spectrum stream, that's it. And it's, it's like a... Uh, it's literally a spectrum analyzer in 3D. It, it has three axes. You can see amplitude, you can see bandwidth, and you can see time, uh, which is really cool. And uh, I spent some time today sort of dialing in the parameters on that because it's very configurable. And, um, <clears throat> oh, Darren has a different take on 3DSS. <laughs> um, 
because I really like it. Uh, it really helps you if you dial in if you dial in the bandwidth and the time and all that stuff uh, and your uh, attenuation properly. It makes finding signals on the passband really really easy. And uh, I was I, I plan on using that quite a bit. Now you can also uh, you can also have a multi display with 3DSS that also gives you a uh, an amplitude waterfall and an audio stream uh, oscilloscope, which you can make look one of two ways. You can make it do the sort of sine wave thing where it shows you the audio at peaks and valleys, or you can make it show a stream kind of like what you would see in Audacity um, for the inbound speech path or CW path or, or whatever it is you're receiving, which I thought that was cool too. And yes, I realize this is all eye candy. You don't need any of this stuff to, to make contacts, but I've been without it for a long time. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been enjoying it quite a lot. I honestly think I find, I find the three DSS display though useful. I don't think I'll be turning it off. Um, it has all of the features you think you would expect from a decent HF rig. It has, memory channels, dual VFOs, split operation. Uh, it has stackable VFOs, which is kind of nice. You can you can stack three frequencies on a VFO and rotate between them. It has what's called QMB or quick memory banks. You can also you can keep five or ten memories in rotation too and cycle through them on each VFO. Um, what else? The tuning knob is actually really nice. Uh, it has variable feel, so you can adjust it the way you want. Uh, the The default sort of wide open is the way I like it. Uh, it's very configurable. Everything is done by, uh, it has a touchscreen, but you can also do it with knobs, touchscreen, and, of course, key clicks or, or mouse clicks if you're doing that. Um, let's see what else. Oh, I, I, I got the entire thing set up and working, including digital operation, without having to read the manual. So I would give that a hearty thumbs up for being very... Uh, intuitive out of the box, not having to dig around to try and figure out what settings mean, uh, how to get it set up the way you want it, stuff like that. Uh, it also has an SD card reader, so you can save settings, save memories, save um, you know rig state, record messages. You can even record outgoing messages, things like that. Um, let's see what else. Um, it has a, like an eight pin connector in the back for connecting. Uh, peripherals it's set up really well for doing um like having linear amplifiers um oh what else this the screen while is like even the default screen what you know even though it's a little small is very readable the touch screen is very responsive although i find i use the knobs more than anything and i just sort of look at the external monitor instead of the the onboard monitor uh, one thing I did notice is that this, there's a screen blanker. It's supposed to just turn off the TBT or the TFT after a certain amount of inactivity. It doesn't seem to be doing that. I'm not really sure why. Maybe it thinks it's something's happening um, that I'm not aware of. I don't know if, if the if the you know waterfall displays and stuff are on. I don't know if that considers that activity. But I've noticed that when the rig is on, the screen is on. Um, what else can I say about this thing? It's an HF radio. You know, it does HF things. <laughs> Darren was saying the CW settings are really configurable for straight keys versus one and two lever pedals. Oh yeah, it has built-in default options for depending on what kind of key you have, whether it's a a bug style or an Elecraft style or a straight key or anything like that. Uh, yeah, very configurable that way. It does use a quarter inch jack, so if you're like me and your key is wired with an eighth inch jack, you need an adapter. Uh, not a big deal, just something to notice. 
Um, there's only one antenna port. I did find that interesting. My IC7100 uh, 7100 has one for VHF and, and six, and one for, or sorry, one for VHF and one for HF and six. And I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. You don't really need that. You don't have to split out six meters. Um, so there's only, there's only, you can only connect one antenna at a time unless you get a switch. Um, I did notice some interesting things like the power output setting is settable in one watt increments, which I think is maybe configurable. You may be able to set that to something else, but the default is one watt increments, which seems pointless. Um, unless you really want to transmit at seven watts, um, <clears throat> for whatever reason, uh, you can't go below five, so you can't do any like real QRP work with it. Um, what else? Now, somebody asked me some questions, like an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, five is QRP. I mean, for contesting, at least. Well, it's like the QRO of QRP, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> for those that want to complain about that, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like the thing. I like it a lot. I think I think it's a lot of bang for your 900 bucks. I really do. Um, it will keep it keep even a true, like, you know, knobhead radio enthusiast happy uh, with all the things you can configure. And, um, you know, it's, it's cheap enough that almost anybody could get into it. Uh, setting it up is like under Linux, uh, with rig control D super, super snap. I found, um, something on Reddit, I think, where it said you had to at least currently use the FTDX 10 settings. Uh, it uses the same command set. So I did that and it works perfectly. Um, yeah, absolutely perfectly out of the box. I did have to set the, there's three different USB port settings, I see that my connection is wavering. Why is that? Yeah, but that's interesting. Well, hopefully it will shake out. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So there's three different com ports technically in the box. And the second one is the one for, for doing rig control. And you have to make sure your, your baud rate is set appropriately and whatnot. Uh, not a big deal. Just have to be aware of it. Uh, yeah, there's lots of, lots of knobs to twiddle, lots of buttons to push. Um, screen's very colorful display makes a lot of sense really easy to navigate. Um, not so many buttons that would be intimidating. And uh, overall, I think it's really, really put together well. And I would definitely recommend it at the price point. I think you're getting a lot of radio for the money you're spending. So, so unless anybody else or anybody else has any uh, questions or things they would like to know about it in my whole two days of experience, um, <laughs> probably move on. But I'll, I'll pause here a second so I can pause and take a drink and try and get my throat to react <laughs> see darren says it has a more friendly knob cluster than the dx10 i keep bumping the tuning when changing modes and bands and uh, steve says does the ftdx10 have a separate rx antenna port i don't know if that does or not <laughs> let's see i'll try no. to figure that out <clears throat> no it literally has one antenna port that's it he was asking if the 10 has the, the uh, oh, extra yeah. port or not. Yeah, let's see. Yes. And Darren says, no, it doesn't. So No, there you go. One thing uh, I should mention, I guess, is that it has it has a noise blanker, and it also has a pre-programmed DSP, in, input audio DSP. There are 15 different settings, and you can basically scroll through them at any time when you're receiving audio, and it will filter based on those pre-programmed DSPs and it can really do some clarification of, of incoming audio uh, to really clean up noise and stuff like that. So that's really nice. Um, 
it does it does a lot of work on both inbound and outbound audio, which I think is is really handy, especially in a radio that doesn't cost a whole lot. So I don't know that I have much else to say about it. <laughs> it's certainly small enough that it could be used in portable ops or or even mobile ops if you wanted to. Um, it's a bit smaller than the 570s, definitely not nearly as heavy. And the feel version, which is the one I got, comes with a carry strap. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's more along the lines of a luggable than like a KX3 or something like that, but uh, could definitely be used uh, for activations or whatnot. But yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd rate it pretty high. And uh, if I had a chance or a need to buy another HF rig and I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money, I would, I would seriously consider buying another one. The... Darren's asking if it came with a mounting bracket. It did not. Yeah, I don't know the mobile mounting brackets for those are uh, extra charges. I think ICOM does the same thing with their rigs. Yeah, I don't think I've ever bought a radio that wasn't like specifically designed as a mobile radio that actually came with a with a mounting bracket. So, all right, well, that probably was not comprehensive and probably mostly useless. But uh, you know, if you're looking for an HF rig with a lot of you know, the pack's a lot of punch for under a thousand bucks. I'd say you could do a lot worse than the, the FD 710. So, all right, with that, we should probably move on. If anybody has any additional questions, just email them. I'll be happy to give you my thoughts about things that I've forgotten to talk about. Um, oh, I did forget one thing, kind of an important thing too. <laughs> uh, it has an integrated automatic antenna tuner. Ooh. Is it any good though? <laughs> it's fun. The only, the only, band it won't tune up on my rig is 12 meters and i gotta tell you i'm not terribly surprised about that because i do not have a 12 meter antenna <laughs> or an antenna <laughs> technically supposed to operate on any of the work bands but it will tune everything 80 through 10 and 6 just not 12 nice yeah i mean i have the the i don't think they've changed their internal antenna tuner much over the years so uh the one i have in the fd 450d i mean it, it works fine until you have something that's really bad <laughs> and then it's like ah, eh, it doesn't work fine there are actually ways to uh, jack that around too in the advanced settings you can actually change where it decides to give up and stuff like that but i wouldn't recommend that uh, i just have a i've had a ldg uh, z11 pro too for a long time and that 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 sits in front of all the rigs that i put on hf except for uh, except for my uh, 703s yeah, I have I have an LDG for the IC7100, so at this point, if I decide that I really, really want to work 12 meters, I'll just use the ICOM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the LDG is pretty solid. It uh, takes, a, takes a hit, keeps yeah. it going. Oh, yeah, because it tunes up on 12 meter, no problem. I, I got lots of contacts on that rig. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, the thing, uh, all the bells and whistles have kind of encouraged me to get back into doing stuff. Now I'm, now I'm trying to hunt POTA and uh, actually thinking about working some CW. So... <laughs> If nothing else, it's uh, it's been an inspiration. You still have the DXCC a dipole, right? I do. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I don't know if you saw earlier, but I well, I think I've mentioned it before, but I do really want to get a, a Titan DX and and put that out there as well. So so I can have some vertical. Vertical. Did I drop out? Because I saw my voice. Thing. No. No. You're good. All right. Yeah, I think it's time to bring Cheryl in here for some footage. Yeah, I definitely think it's time for everybody to stop listening to my stupid ass talk about radios. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about some good stuff. So what do we got for food? Okay, so the recipe I picked this time is for poor man's prime rib. Uh, Since prime rib is a meat that most folks, especially with au jus or host radish, like, uh, but ordering it in a restaurant tends to be very expensive. And even buying the meat, you know, rib roast at home is expensive. 
So today I'm sharing a more inexpensive cut of meat that makes a suitable substitution. That cut of meat is a beef eye of round roast, which you can get anywhere between six and ten dollars a pound. Uh, you need some butter, some garlic powder or minced garlic, onion powder, salt and pepper, thyme if you want it, herbs to province if you want it, whatever. Um, and you can get the rest of the recipe in the show notes. But um, you know, plan on devoting about two hours to your your dinner. Um, and I also have recipes for the au jus and the horseradish sauce if you want to make it at home. And then for my mixed drink corner, I picked the French 75. And the description I actually got for this is the light and bubbly nature of the French 75 can provide a nice contrast to the rich and hearty flavors of beef. The lemon juice and sugar in the drink can also add a tart and sweet balance that can enhance the overall flavor profile of the dish. The bubbles in the drink can help refresh the mouth and remove any lingering flavors or textures from the previous bite of meat. And for that, you need some gin, some lemon juice, some simple syrup, some champagne or sparkling wine of some sort, and a lemon twist for some garnish. So, and again, the rest of the instructions will be in the show notes. Did you talk about your drink? Or was that? That was all that part was the of drink. it. <laughs> that was the drink. Uh, okay. The gin, the lemon juice. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff about the au jus and the horseradish sauce and everything. I can't believe you got through all of that really quick. But <laughs> Did you not hear me say if you want to find out about that to check out the show notes? Oh, I see. You're being lazy. I have to talk for 30 minutes about a radio, and you're just like, oh, here's a <laughs> Because you've been talking for 30 minutes about a radio. Well, yeah. People like to hear things talked about, I guess, especially food. Well, you know. Again, it's just me babbling on about, you know, and smears of butter on the roast and, you know, so they can, they can I like read the all idea that. Of, uh, I like the idea of uh, putting it in the oven at high temp and then just letting it rest in the oven. Yeah. Normally you see it the other way around where you kind of slow cook it and then you, uh, and then you bring it up to temp to kind of get that nice brown. That yeah. Jar. See, and that was, that was the thing I read. I read several different recipes stating the, you know slow cook it thing and then i read others that basically said to start it out at you know inferno temperature and then turn the oven off and let it let it rest and i was like you know that seems like the better way to go and of course i did include for those that prefer their meat more rare medium rare, medium i did include the uh the internal temperatures you need to have in order to get those different you know pieces of meat going but but get yeah, out that probe, right? <laughs> oh yeah. See, we have we have an internal probe where the the thermostat actually says, you know, you you poke the the meat, and your temperature gauge actually sits on the counter beside the stove. So that's very nice. You don't ever have to open the oven to check your turkey or your chicken, whatever your your roast, anything. You just go and go. Oh, it's 120 degrees. We should probably turn the oven off now. So, but you know, I'm I am personally a a rare prime rib girl. Russ, on the other hand, is more medium, rare to medium type meat person. So we have to be careful with meat in the house. So he doesn't like his stuff mooing at him when you cut into it. And I don't understand. Yeah, I don't but, think you should yeah. kill kill the poor animal twice. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely don't like it well done. I definitely like it towards the medium rare. So I just don't like it rare. Yeah, well. You you and did. Not that you, I won't eat it. It's just to me, the less you cook it, the less flavor it has. So I just kind of like that medium rare to medium flavor profile. Mm, okay. Just me, obviously. Yeah. 
No, it's you. So. Yep, just you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I like the whole, you know, slap a Band-Aid on its butt and throw it back out to yeah. pasture type thing. So. <laughs> yeah, throw your steak on the grill, go slap it on the ass and get it off the grill. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's fine. Move along. No problem for me at all. Yeah, that, that that's fine. You can just have the stuff that's get overcooked, you know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to go through my my whiskey review here pretty quick because I've been talking a lot. So okay. Okay, so uh, Blue Note uh, Blue Note Uncut Juke Joint Whiskey. If you want to read about it, check the show notes. Okay, next. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that, but I will go quick. Uh, here's here's a little blurb about Blue Note. Uh, here at the Blue River Distilling Company, we focus solely on crafting, aging, bottling, and distributing the finest whiskey possible. Our products can be found in fine liquor stores, restaurants, and bars across the United States, as well as in a host of private label bottles. Held by Blue River Distilling Company since 2018, DSPTN 21021 was licensed in 2014, making it the oldest distillery license in the city of Memphis. So that's right, it's Tennessee whiskey. In June of 2019, the six-story rickhouse that stored much of Blue Note's inventory collapsed in a terrible storm. Most barrels, <laughs> most barrels were destroyed immediately, and even more in the coming months exposed to weather and soaring summer heat. Amazingly, a small number of barrels survived the wreckage. Uncut and unfiltered, these limited bottles are a true expression of perseverance. Uh, most of that story is bull. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> they did lose a rickhouse in a storm. They were aging about 20,000 barrels. They lost about 4,000 barrels. Uh, those barrels did wind up in the uncut releases, which is what I have here. Uh, this is a store pick uncut release. Um, they do not distill their own whiskey. They source it. Apparently, this comes from Green River Distillery. Uh, it has a mash bill of 70% corn, 21% rye, 9% malted barley, which is a pretty standard high rye bourbon. Uh, it's aged for about four years, apparently part of the time in a rickhouse and part of the time in mud. Um, and the the proof on this particular bottle is 123.9 proof, so right up there, 61.95% ABV. Comes out of Memphis, Tennessee. It's a light caramel color uh, because it is sort of on the youngish side at around four years. The nose on it's not bad. Caramel, sugared corn, lemon zest, toasted oak, honey, medicinal cherry. Uh, it is a bit ethanol forward. You can definitely taste the heat from its six, almost 62% ABV. Uh, some, some, you know, high ABV whiskeys wear their alcohol content better than this one for sure. The nose on it is caramel, sugared corn, lemon zest, toasted oak, honey. Wait a minute. I, I went to the wrong thing. <laughs> taste. Uh, the taste on this is vanilla, cherry, mint, dusty black pear, pepper, clove, sugary lemongrass, and it definitely still has that ethanol forward showing its proof uh the finish on it not terribly complex a little bit of lingering oak some pepper and spices and a little bit of tart lemon so uh the story is interesting the whiskey not super interesting uh i mean it's it's certainly drinkable uh, i don't hate it uh it's about 50 dollars a bottle for uh for a fifth so it's not uh, ridiculously expensive either, but you can buy some better whiskeys uh, for $50. That's that's for sure. Uh, this one's not going to rate super high. I'm going to give it an 84. 
Um, it's okay. I, th- I mean, it's overpriced for what it is. The the one thing you really get out of it is the proof. So if you proof it down a little bit, it might be a little better. I don't have any water handy here to do that with. Uh, but taking some of that ethanol forwardness out of this might might actually make it taste a little better. I'll probably do that, and I'll have updates um, if I if I feel it's a significant improvement. Uh, but anyway, that's all there is to it. Blue Note Uncut Juke Joint Whiskey, a Tennessee whiskey out of Memphis, with an interesting story and a not particularly interesting palate. So there you go. All right, Bill, what do you got? I have a wine, because I'm just going to be different, and I only had a glass of it left, so I figured I might as well review it while I'm here. And this is the uh, 2021 Inama Carmenere Pew, and it's a uh, it's a red wine, of course, because like that's that's the only real wine. Come on, let's be serious here. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's an it's a uh, uh, let's see, it's an Italian Italian Italian. Yes, it's an Italian wine, and it's a dark red in color with purple blue purple reflections. It looks red to me, but that's okay. Uh, elegant nose uh, of small dark berries, cocoa, and black pepper. On the palate, it's balanced uh, with excellent freshness, fruity, spicy, without tannic impediments, as they say. And uh, its composition is basically uh, 85% uh, Carmenere and 15% Merlot, uh, which is a, is a nice balance, actually. It uh, I picked this bottle up, uh, geez, uh, not not too long ago, maybe a couple weeks ago at the wine store and... Uh, yeah, I picked up a bottle I would normally get, and then they had this one there for uh, taste testing. So I had a glass of it. And I'm like, eh, yeah, sure, why not? And uh, yeah, for something that's mixed with Merlot, uh, you know, I'm not generally a Merlot fan anymore. Um, it's uh, it's nice. It's it is what they say. You know, it is it is kind of like fresh. It's it's not very tannic at all. Um, it it definitely uh, it definitely has some uh, some niceness to it. I'm just taking another little swig of it just to confirm that yes yes definitely it's a it's a nice red wine uh that's about 20 to 25 dollars i can't remember exactly what uh what the bottle was um you probably can find it at your local wine store uh for probably something close to that but yeah not uh not a not a bad red uh i i, I enjoyed this i don't know if i'd buy it again because i'm uh again not a huge fan of the merlots and this uh carmenere i'm not not real familiar with this particular uh particular grape but uh i'm not disappointed i'm not disappointed at all so uh so yeah there it is the inama carmenere pew i will say sort of apropos of nothing cheryl and i have been started going to the city wineries um up and there's there's a newer one up in st louis so we go there and we're a part of their wine club so we get a free bottle of wine every month and uh in in doing some of the taste testing of their wines up there we uh found a surprise i guess because Neither of us likes Chardonnays. We all think Chardonnays are way too dry and they suck. Um, but somehow City Winery has a Chardonnay that is absolutely incredible. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, uh, every once in a while, a turd can shine, you know. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not cheap. It's like a $50 bottle, but it's really good. So, um, yeah, I don't even know what it is, so there's no point in continuing to talk about it. Anyway, so. With way that, to sell that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just just keep it fresh in your mind. The city winery, if there's one near you, actually has some really good wine. So fundraising efforts for we're into announcements, by the way, in case you couldn't follow that. Uh, fundraising efforts for Hamish will be starting soon. There'll be a GoFundMe or a, whatever the crowdfunding site du jour is 
um, for this year. Yeah, I saw yeah. The, booth, the booth emails have gone out, so I just got ours for uh, the K2BSA booth. Right. Yeah, so we'll be starting that up. And uh, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say it with a caveat, so um, don't take this as, as gospel, as it were. But if things go as they have gone for the past few years and our support, our, our general support stays at the level it's at or increases, wink, wink, um, going forward, then this will be the last time we'll have a GoFundMe. Um, we'll be, like I said, if things stay the same or improve, then we should be self-sustaining at this point. So that's amazing. Yeah. So thank you to everyone for that. Uh, that's fantastic. And hopefully we'll be able to pull that off. And, uh, with that, we're down to, uh, new subscribers, supporters, and live participants. So we'll bring Charlotte in here for the last little bit of the show. Okay. So for Facebook, well, excuse me, let me back up a little bit. For subscribers and patrons, there were not any new ones. For Facebook, we had Scott Gamble, Rand Grief, and multiple others. Again, they come in and bought, you know, gobs and we don't get to see all the names. Twitter, we didn't have anybody. On Instagram, we had DL1LEP and KSA excuse me, K9K7 underscore AFW. On Mastodon, we had at POTS, at extra, extra chin. Wow, I obviously need some to drink tonight. At Ground024, at KC2IHX, at K5, or excuse me, F5NZY, and at Kent Borg. We didn't have anybody join us on the mailing list. On Discord, we had CHV7238 and Brian, KD8IOU, again. Not, <laughs> yeah. I, that, that, that was, I'm sure, a Bill comment, and I'm not sure why, but anyway. Uh, was, uh, he's, he was signed up before, and he signed up again, so obviously. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Username problem, yeah. That gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I, I figured as much, but I wanted to make sure. So, and in our live chat, we have Steve, KA7HVT, Darren, VK6EK, Mike, K6GTE, Tony, K4XSS, Steve, KJ5T, and Ted, W0EIR. All right. Well, that does bring us down to the end of the show. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this 112th edition of The Weekender. We hope you uh, will continue to support us, and we really hope we'll see you at Hamvention this year. We're definitely looking forward to it. And in the meantime, we're going to send you back out into the world to enjoy the rest of your day or evening or whatever it is after you've listened to the show. And we hope you'll join us again in a week's time for our next deep dive episode. And with that, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up this episode number 530 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469.
visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.